I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. Tonight's show, Facing America at Standing Rock. It's about the resistance to civil government that has been going on at Standing Rock in North Dakota. Our music tonight by Neil Young. This song is Who's Gonna Stand Up about environmental activism. Who's gonna stand up and save the earth? Who's gonna say that she's had enough? Who's gonna take on the big machine? Who's gonna stand up and save the earth? This all starts with you and me. Even elementary schools are now teaching what was always factual about the conquest of this landmass. Northern Europeans came and extirpated as many indigenous people as possible. It was U.S. government policy to make and break treaties at every opportunity. Herded onto desolate reservations, dying by the thousands en route, the native people of this land were treated as one race of lesser beings, portrayed as devils and barbarians. What is the legacy of this history? We're witnessing this dismissive denigration and abuse of people right now. It's not 1616 or 1816, but 2016. And the confrontation at Standing Rock, which pits a corporate energy company and their state police force collaborators against Native people, protecting sacred lands and water supplies. It's one as old as imperial conquest. In the studio with me tonight, Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles. Davina Two Bears is a member of the Navajo Nation from northern Arizona who worked for 14 years as an archaeologist and a program manager at the Navajo Nation Archaeology Department at Northern Arizona University. She's currently a Ph.D. candidate at Indiana University Bloomington in the Department of Anthropology's Archaeology of the Social Context Ph.D. program. She's researching a Navajo Indian boarding school in Arizona. And Davina is a volunteer DJ here at WFHB for Native Spirit, Indiana's only Native American First Nations music radio show. Terry Miles is a Muscogee, that's a Creek citizen, Sac and Fox, is that correct, Terry? Muscogee. Thank you, Muscogee. Uh, Sack and Fox is right? Yes. Okay. Uh, a family member and a Seminole descendant, born and raised in Chicago. She moved to Bloomington in 2006 to pursue a Ph.D. in criminal justice. She currently works for a social service agency in Bloomington. She published, and she has published, several articles at Indian Country Today. We'll also be joined in our final segment by the Indiana Representative for the American Indian Movement, AIM chapter of Indiana and Kentucky, Kelly Lipan Apache, who's been an activist for 15 years, and she works for an EMT, and will detail some of her experiences at the Standing Rock Camp in that capacity. So, whew, that was a lot. So welcome to both of you, Davina and Terry. Well, hello. Hi, thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's let's just start with you two, right? Let's just start with who you are, Davina Two Bears. Um, w- this is obviously an, an important time for you. What What's really sort of driven this for you? Have you followed what's been happening for its sort of extended period now? Yes, I have. I've been following it um, ever since the youth were running the Standing Rock Sioux youth uh, did a run all the way to Washington, D.C., and um, I I was following that on Facebook, and and then you know just been following it ever since then. Um, what's been going on there uh, with the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation? 
Um, it's such a historic moment, and also there's also a lot of issues there with regards to um, archaeology and the historic preservation process and um, the NEPA process as well uh, that are significant to um, um, the historic preservation community or, you know, the study of archaeology and anthropology in this country. So uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that uh, briefly, though. Too, we're trying to understand, I guess, the 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 breadth of this issue. It, when we see it on TV or don't see it on TV, see it on our uh, uh, our computers, uh, and hear about it on radio and podcasts, and uh, we we understand this is a, a sort of a, bo- a battle between a pipeline company and um, and the people of uh, the it's, it's a Sioux Nation, uh, Standing Rock. Uh, and there are uh, tribal grounds there, and the pipeline is is coming close to the tribal grounds, but the key issue is it's also cutting underneath a, a water, uh, um, a river, that uh, that's problematic above the tribal lands as well, so that any leaks in the pipeline and that point will be problematic, obviously, will, will cause some envir- environmental damage and toxicity to the water supplies. So this is the primary um, reason, well, these are primary reasons to protest this particular uh, act- action and want to stop the pipeline. Is that, have, have I characterized it properly, or is there more that I'm missing? I think Terry? there's a little bit more. There's, you know, not just, this is a sovereign nation we're talking mm-hmm. about. And um, the land where it's going through, where they're saying uh, belongs to uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, that's the... Um, Un, that's the unceded land. Hmm. That land still belongs to the nation, um, per treaty. Nation, is that that 1851 treaty, or is there uh, 1850? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, nation to nation treaty, which hmm. is a binding law of the land. Um, so there's that, and then there's also that it's not just above what they say is the, the tribal land, but it's like less than a mile along the border, and then it's going um, going to go under their water source, mm-hmm. the beginning of their water source. And then the other point, which is extremely important, was that this pipeline was supposed to go above Bismarck or mm-hmm. near Bismarck. And it was decided that it was not safe to do that. So how can it be not safe for Bismarck and it's safe for, you know, the nation? Right, where we'll get into issues of those, uh, I guess, racial environmental profiles as well in this situation. Um, the, Davina, though, uh, there's a, there's a process here that that happens, right? So uh, the pipeline has to be cleared through certain steps. Do you have a sense that, that that there were some problems with that that process as well? Oh yeah, they 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 found the loophole. They're they are not um, conducting a full environmental impact statement. The Army Corps of Engineers said they can do the lesser environmental assessment. And for a, a pipeline that's over a thousand miles long, um, that sh- that is a, a project that definitely needs to have an environmental impact statement because it's covering, you know, so so much lands. It's going through not just the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, but I'm sure it's going through other tribes' traditional homelands. And um, you know that that's the way they're doing it is they're segmenting it up into like hundreds of little pieces, and they're getting uh, clearance for every little section. And um, that's that is something that the um, um, advisory council on historic preservation they advise this you know DAPL project to not do that, mm. but they are you know doing it and and get and so far have you know gotten 
away with it. So, you know, this is not in is not a, a good faith uh, effort on their part whatsoever. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Facing America at Standing Rock. I'm joined today by local activists and Native Americans, Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles. Um, so Dakota, Dakota Access Pipeline, this is actually a changed name, right? This used to be the Keystone XL pipeline that everybody was up in arms about when it was Keystone. Is that correct? I mean, I, I guess they're considering it a separate pipeline, but it's mm. basically the same thing. I think it's only what how many miles tracks the same course basically tracks doesn't the it? same mm-hmm. course not yeah. in canada though is that it right? just doesn't cross the canadian so border. we're no, not international and that that reduced another issue right and then they did go ahead and, and break it up into those segments in order to get do the loophole that there is um there's that loophole is because um so when you're putting in some kind of um you know a uh, small electrical line or something like that mm. that it could be expedited and quicker that that's the loophole that uh, with the Corps of Engineers you were able to get the there's less environmental impact I suppose when you're dealing with those kinds of issues or it seems as, as such well the uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline company has uh, um, has just a little bit to go right this is the last little stretch of pipeline they need to to actually get put together before the pipeline is actually ready to for business that's correct that's my understanding yeah but I also um, uh, and I'd have, you know, I can't verify this right this minute, but I think there was something said that um, when this, when the resist, people started resisting this, um, only 60% of the pipeline had been completed. Mm, so they just kept on working, right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And as we, as we said actually before the show, it appears that they're continued to work uh, even after this most recent, uh, I guess the recent denial of the easement by the, the Corps of Engineers, right? They're that's what we're hearing, right. um, and so that's distressing because then we haven't heard anything saying that anybody's stopping them. The police aren't going there to stop them, the Army Corps of Engineers. And so, like, they can stop the people resisting, but they won't stop, you know, something else that they consi- that should be considered mm-hmm. against the law. So what's, what was the genesis of the, the, um, uh, uh, the protest or the, um, the stand against this uh, for, uh, like, how did it start, I guess? How, how, how has it grown? It's obviously a much larger thing now. It's actually uh, caught, uh, captured the imagination, obviously, and the attention of a lot of people in the country as well and across the world. So, but it started, I'm, I assume it started much smaller. How, how did it organize as well as it has? Any idea? I... I don't know. I think this is like, this is really just something that none of us have ever even experienced before or seen before. I mean, there have been plenty of projects that have um, occurred on uh, Native American reservations or near Native American reservations that we are constantly fighting against um, mining, uranium mining for my tribe. There's Mm. like hundreds of open pit uranium mines on my reservation that companies have just up and left since the 1940s and 50s. Mm. And my people are drinking, you know, water that is contaminated by these uranium mines. So this, this, things like this happen to Native Americans all the time. And I don't really know how this has just like totally snowballed into this um, huge, Mm. huge uh, movement. And I think it might be, you know, several, just several um, connections happening all at once, you know, with Trump getting uh, elected as president. Um, We have some really um, 
strong allies in in the Hollywood community. There's um, Shalene Woody, I think her name is, and she's been really, really outspoken about what's going on there at Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. And I think for tribes, you know, we definitely understand what the Standing Rock Sioux people are going through because, you know, our sacred places are constantly being um, threatened and, and despite all of, you know, our, you know, you know, consultations that we may have with federal or state agencies, um, when we consult, our our input is often ignored. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can say that they've consulted with tribes, even though they ignore every one of our concerns. Right, right. The, the, and, the operative word being they did consult with you. Yeah. So right. this is the same thing that has happened at the standing, with the Standing Rock and so Sioux Tribe. And so tribes are, we are so fed up. Mm. I mean, we do not, you know, first of all, there's so many stereotypes. There's so many things that we're fed up about, you know, the stereotypes about Native Americans, the fact that people don't know the history of this country and how Native people have, you know, given up so much just so this, you know, that America can be, you know, become this great country that it is. I mean, you you have to know about the true history of this country and give, you know, honor and respect to those to those to all Americans who have you know suffered to to make this country you know what it is today and and that native people are you know the the people that you know really should be recognized and honored and respected because this was our land and we still consider it our land and and just you know the Standing Rock Sioux tribe they that's their that's their land that 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 pipeline is going through they did not give that land up. That was um, land that was outlined in a treaty between the United States and the Great Sioux Nation. And then just taken. And then just taken. This is a story that has happened repeatedly in this country's history. Well, this this seems to be a confluence of, as you say, uh, like maybe a bunch of things happened at one time as as you speak to the fact that this has happened over and over and over again. Is the history of the country in this particular act? Like in this microcosm, we can say this is not... This is nothing but the history of America we're looking at right here. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, the tribes here, they they all got, you know, 99% of them got removed. Mm. So, you know, the state is a perfect example of what, you know, the, how Native Americans have been treated by this country. Mm. Terry? Well, just to add to that a little bit from my personal perspective is that when I was watching all this starting on Facebook... Um, I think that one Facebook has really, you know, helped to to make make this what it was. I mean, nobody was following it, nobody was covering it in the mainstream media, and so, and then you know, Indian country is you know you know how the thing with Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation and all that. Yeah. Well, we're like what two? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like all my feeds on my Facebook thing are just Indians, you know. And so I see all this stuff going on. And then I think a lot of us are the same. We see the same stuff, you know. And so that kind of grew. But then, like, our friends started, you know, other friends, non-natives started seeing mm. it too. But then also, like, so with these, with the other times when people had to resist and stuff like that, I don't think there was this the same type of reaction to the resistance. Um, for myself, I was coming home from vacation and... Um, uh, I think I had like two days left of vacation. I was coming home early and a friend called me up and she's like, hey, you want to go out to 
you know, North Dakota and go support. And I'm like, I'd love to, but I got two days left. I, I, cause I Googled it and I'm like, man, it'd take us 17 hours to get there. <laughs> you know, we get there and have to come back. I said, I, I can't, I don't have time right now. So then um, I had been seeing things and following it, but then I started looking at that night, um, what was going on, what had, you know, prompted that. And I saw the videos and this is what I wrote about, um, saw the videos of the police, you know, behind this one man walking on his land. And then, you know, they were kind of like, it looked like they were telling him to stop or something like that. And he was just kind of like ticked off and ignoring them and kept walking. And then the guy went up and and tripped him and threw him on the ground and, and, you know, cuffed him and everything else. And that that just, I don't know, that just got my, Mm. I just couldn't believe it. And I think, you know, those images are what, and then it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. yeah, and I think also... I'm sorry, the- Davina, I've got to take a break. Oh, it's okay. okay. Uh, the, uh, we have to take a break. You're listening to Facing America at Standing Rock on Interchange. The music at the break is Pocahontas by Neil Young. More Interchange with Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles when we return. Support for WFHB is provided by attorney Eric Slotograph at Slotograph Niehoff, located at 200 East 3rd Street in downtown Bloomington. Assisting families and small businesses in meeting the legal challenges of life. Eric provides real estate planning, including wills, trusts, and powers of attorney, and small business support services. More information is available at 812-332-6000 or at slotographlegal.com. Slotograph Niehoff, law for business, community, and life. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show is Facing America at Standing Rock, and I'm joined today by local activists and Native Americans, Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles. Uh, Pocahontas there by Neil Young. Uh, we were at the break, and, and Terry, Terry uh, told us a little story from her youth. Terry, do you mind giving, <laughs> giving, giving us that? Well, yeah, it was just funny when you, when you said that, and it just made me burst out laughing after we you know, got off, because... Um, you know, it might seem like like nothing. It's just a word, right? And it was an actual person. But the way it's been, the way that that person was, has been portrayed throughout history ever since then has been totally inaccurate. Um, she was a young girl. And um, what, when was she married off to that, that guy? When she was 12? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Right? Pocahontas. I mean, what do we call that mm-hmm. now, you know? Yeah. 
So anyway, and then she goes overseas and dies tragically. I mean, she doesn't, you know, have a happy ending. Right. And, but anyway, besides that, you know, so it was always kind of a, a, a used as a negative um, against my, uh, me as I was growing up, you mm. know. Uh, all my cousins had to do is uh, call me Pocahontas or call me Squaw, and it was like ding, 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 and we were fighting. <laughs> right. Well, I, I certainly don't blame you. I, I hope the song by Neil Young doesn't quite uh, cause that for <laughs> you. It's it's definitely a, a, a song that uh, that is sympathetic to the situation as well, to to trying to write the story instead of uh, let it be the Disneyfied version, I suppose, or the historic historiographical version that we've heard, we've all sort of been stuck with. I have um, to listen to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. Um, so before the break, we were talking about how, uh, the pipeline in general and about how this is uh, an American institution breaking treaties with Native peoples and uh, you know guaranteeing land rights, but probably writing something uh, interesting in in the treaty itself that that would that it wouldn't matter if you actually uh, lied in the treaty necessarily. I think part of the treaties that were written, in, especially in the in the 1800s, and uh, agreed to by many tribal uh, negotiators, I suppose, were often, um, you know, written in such a way that no one that wasn't a native speaker of, of English uh, would understand uh, how they were to be uh, understood themselves later on. But it wouldn't matter anyway, it seems, right? You know, they'd break, break the treaty regardless uh, uh, and, and, and take what they wanted. So when, when we uh, went to the break, that's what we were talking about. And, um, but we should get to get to some of the camp experiences that you've had. Uh, that's what I'd like to hear about. Uh, who wants to start with uh, giving a sense of what the camp is like? Davina, Terry, which one? Who wants to begin? Well, I, my, I haven't personally been there, but my, my daughter was there over the Thanksgiving break, mm. and she was there um, when the um, um, police were sh- shooting um, pellets and mace and um, hosing down um, the, the water protectors um, at night during um, um, freezing cold temperatures. But uh, I know Terry's been there several times. Mind you, what I would have to say about that particular night is um, what I've been blasting on Facebook is where were the medical personnel from that side to take care of people with hypothermia? Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, if you're going to take those actions, you also have a public safety Concern. You also have a duty to make sure that if you're going to spray people in 28-degree weather with water hoses, that you can then take them and put them in an ambulance and get them taken care of. And I didn't see any medical personnel on their side. What I saw was lines of cars of people going up and taking from the Achete... The overflow camp. Anyway, so... um. I saw lines of people going up there and transporting people back. I saw the medics and the and the medics getting shot at purposefully. And, I mean, there was one particular scene where uh, people had gathered around a fire they created, and they had these tarps up to protect each other. And um, they kept shooting this one guy who was trying to help with the tarps. And finally he turns around and says, come on! You know, I mean, the, 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 it's got to be so frustrating. But... Um, and and then um, you know then you can hear the reports if you go online you can find different um, live feeds that have been recorded and saved that that like the uh, medic uh, that I met up there she talked about all the injuries and mm. and how it was just constant you know just triaging and yeah. and they they took care of it they kept people from dying they're the ones that right. um, did it 
It's pretty shocking. It's one of those things, I think, that did galvanize a lot of people. The images that, uh, of course, are the images of, of, of terror that we see throughout our history uh, in Selma, Alabama, uh, let, losing dogs on African Americans and, and uh, fire hoses as well. So the, the history repeats itself all over our uh, indigenous peoples and our minority peoples as well. And uh, one thing that has been interesting recently with the, um, I think it was, um, I, I I couldn't really tell much about it. The act, it's sort of an act that Wesley, Wesley Clark Jr. Ha, uh, you know, asked for forgiveness, and we can ask, we can talk about what that is, uh, if that's something you felt was a sincere uh, performance or it was, well, a performance, I tipped my hand there. I wasn't sure how it was received in the community. Um, it, they were good words. And it seemed like a good thing, right, asking forgiveness and taking responsibility. I think this is one of the issues that we run into here is like is saying, I am a part of that. You know, I did that. I am in the military. I am uh, white. I am a part. I have I have succeeded because you have been made to fail. Right. I have succeeded because I have taken your land. I we, we get into weird places where I say, oh, my gosh, I didn't do that to you. Davina and Terry, uh, Doug didn't do that to you, but I did. I succeeded in but my life. But your ancestors did. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Just we. Kidding. No. Well, hey, uh, this this is this is this was the interesting part of that statement to me. Not whether it was performed or not, right, for cameras and because it looked good, but rather rather the words made sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. To be clear that we are the white culture. We are the soldiers. We did you guys have a sense for that at all when you when you saw it? Uh, I, I didn't see it. <laughs> I, 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 I should have played that clip. I, I, yeah, I could it brought tears to my eyes. I it think did. that it, it, it was to me it was very sincere. Mm, and okay. I, I mean it's it's high time that, you know, this happens. Mm-hmm. That this should be happening and, and even from our own government, who has never formally apologized to Native mm. Americans for the tr- the treatment they have, you know, um, how they've treated Native Americans in in and still are treating them today, just right. you know, like you were saying with with what's going on today. So to me, that was that brought tears to my mm. eyes. I mean, Native Americans um, in the first place, they they value the veterans. Um, so much they're they're very 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 important in our communities and we even have ceremonies to like for all our veterans who are going to war and when they come back from war we do not forget our veterans Mm. and and so for veterans to come to standing rock sioux tribe and that many that was really something special and 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 of course they're going to be treated very special because we always as tribe a tribe most tribes um, they treat the veterans very, very special. They honor them. We have songs. We have, you know, we we do not forget our veterans, those who's ha- who have served. So for them to come in the first place, that was something so special. And, and then for them on top of that to, to um, apologize on behalf of mm. all white people <laughs> and the treatment, you know, um, especially the with the standing with the Sioux people and what happened at mm-hmm. Wounded Knee, um, you know, you know that that's healing that's right. healing going on that's that's what this country needs mm-hmm. you know that that and 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 the elders that were there were grateful that the, the people that were there i saw you know images of them um tapping the 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 um military people that were there with um they were 
they were blessing them with with um, sage or or cedar mm-hmm. and the eagle feather, eagle the, feather the eagle yeah. feather fan. Mm-hmm. They were they were putting that smoke on them and blessing them and touching them with the very the th- the power of the eagle f- the eagle feather fan. So mm-hmm. they were, you know, of course they're gonna you know you know um, it, it was a very moving thing for mm-hmm. me. I'm glad it happened. I think that that the people there were very happy that it happened as well. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Facing America at Standing Rock. I'm joined today by Davina Bears and Terry Miles in the studio. Uh, so my cynicism may be unfortunate here, but because I agree that the words were important. I felt them. You know, I felt that it made sense and it should be the thing that was said. Um, but I, I'm always skeptical, especially of timing as much as anything else, right? This happens timing-wise and then uh, the easement is denied. I don't remember exactly how the timing worked on that, but but there's a sense for me that that I'm afraid that we'll turn away from it at this point, right? So uh, you know that that the I don't know how long the veterans are are going to stick around. It's thousands now, right? Yeah. So how long this this kind of this thing can m- maintain itself, right? So uh, I think it was just recently that uh, the Trump advisor said something friendly. Uh, that's uh, irony that I'm <laughs> using there. Here it is. Uh, on December 5th, uh, Jason Miller, a spokesperson for Donald Trump, stated, with regard to the Dakota Access Pipeline, that's something we support construction of and we'll review the full situation when we're in the White House and make appropriate determination at that time. Uh, according to Brigham McCowan, the former head of the U.S. Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration under George W. Bush, he, Trump, could approve the pipeline within a matter of hours after taking office. So I think it's fair to be skeptical of this being a, a victory. I don't. I, I. I mean, I get this from the sites and fa- Facebook and the and the websites I've seen too. That everyone says let's. This is a great victory, but right. So what's? Do you think there's a next phase here? That's. I mean, it's winter time now. I suppose that that things might shut down at that point, but there's going to be a next time, right? There's going to be more to come. You get a sense, Terry? Yeah, I mean, so the the kind of stance I take on it is is that um, we don't get to decide that the um, the the people of the the Standing Rock um, they they get to decide that because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are going to have to live with um, after you know if right. if uh, they continue drilling and if or. Trump comes in and approves it, and then they start drilling again. Whatever, um, you know, there's there's a certain point where you look at it and you think, is is it going to end up being? I mean, I was scared to death this whole time that that somebody was going to get hurt. I mean, not just hurt because somebody did get hurt. I was scared mm-hmm. to death somebody was going to die. Mm-hmm. And um, so when when that di- when the fourth came and the announcement was made it was kind of like a big sense of relief and of course we're all thinking mm, we don't trust him but okay we'll just go with it right now but um so we have to follow the lead and do what they want to to do we can't just say oh no this is an environmental rights issue we got to go in there and do 
you know, whatever we right. think we can do. So there's not an environmental rights issue. I mean, it is one, right? I'm not, I'm not trying, like, it's one of those things where we parse these understandings so, so that uh, a certain group of people can say, let's, let's stand for environmentalism. I think, Davina, you're right in some sense that this came together with a lot of people who were against the Keystone pipeline in the first place. 350.org was putting stuff out constantly and trying to rally against this kind of oil extraction and how terrible it was going to be. We're headed into the worst of climate change. It's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And why keep digging things out of the ground and putting them into the air? So it was a confluence there, it seemed to me, of, of people being very strongly opposed to, to a climate problem as well as uh, uh, meeting together with this native uh, sacred space that was being desecrated one more time, just another time. But it, but these things came together. And they make sense together, right? The environmental act, activism is just a daily way of being for a native person, it seems to me, at least as far as I've read, that, you know, there's a, there's a definite different way in which you live life uh, under that kind of philosophy of being. You want to talk a little bit about that? Um, I think every tribe has their own, their own, um, their own beliefs regarding, you know, the environment. Uh, but um, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of things in common with a lot of Native people. And, you know, we, we care about Mother Earth. And I'm, I'm sure to some people that sounds silly, you know, they feel that the land is here for us to use, you know, God gave us this country, God gave us this oil to use, and, you know, we're, we're going to use it. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, for a lot of Native people, and I think a lot of like-minded people, you know, yeah, we can use the land, but we need to... We need to think about our future. And mm -hmm. right now, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the way we live. And I think Native people have understood that for a very long time because we've lived in harmony with, you know, the land, the plants, the water. Um, these are living, all of these are living things to us or for my for my tribe, I mean, and, and for the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Um Many languages, water is life. That is a saying in many of our Native American languages. You cannot have life without water. Um, and, and you know, I was watching some some um, videos on the what happened to the Kalamazoo River and the people living around there. Mm. You know, they're being forgotten. And, and that water was contaminated by an oil spill. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they have all kinds of health issues. Right. And... It's like nobody cares, right. you know. Well, so right. sure. it, is that the way our that's yeah. how our country operates? Right. I mean, they leave they leave a mess. They don't clean up after themselves. Right. They don't care about, you know, what what I don't. I just a lot of people just don't get. We don't understand why why are you polluting the land? Right. Why are you polluting the water? Don't you realize that when you do that? You're affecting future generations of your own right. grandkids. In the future, don't you even understand that? It's pretty shocking, isn't it? I, I mean, we I, live in a place that they've done the same thing here, right? I mean, we've had, we've got waste, toxic waste and PCBs running under our, our land as well here that uh, 
you know, mm-hmm. they've not wanted to take responsibility for because it costs too much to clean that stuff. You up. can't just yeah. keep living and living that way. Right. No. Well, no, there'll be an end point at some point. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's actually take a break right now. Uh, we've got to, uh, and then we'll have uh, another guest join us after the break. You're listening to Facing America at Standing Rock on Interchange. The music at the break is Indian Givers by Neil Young. More Interchange with Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles. And uh, another guest, Kelly, when we return. There's a battle raging on the sacred land. Our brothers and sisters had to take a stand Against us now for what we all been doing On the sacred land there's a battle brewing I wish somebody would share the news I wish some Support for Interchange comes from listeners like you and Smithville Fiber, a local provider of internet, voice, and TV service. Now also offering home automation and security systems for home and offices throughout South Central Indiana. More information on Smithville's home automation service is available at smithvillesecurity.com. And ripping the soil Where graves are scattered And blood was boiled When all who look Can see the truth But they just move on And keep their groove
Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show is Facing America at Standing Rock. I'm joined today by local activists and Native Americans, Davina Tuberis and Terry Miles in the studio. And by phone, we've got Indiana representative for the American Indian Movement, AIM chapter of Indiana and Kentucky, Kelly Alipan Apache, Apache, who has been an activist for 15 years. She works as an EMT. And Kelly, uh, maybe you can start off by giving us a, a sort of an idea about what's going on at the camps from the EMT perspective. Uh, yeah, well, um, I haven't been out there in a little while, so recent events, um, I've been following the Standing Rock Medic and Healer Council to see what's going on, um, but they're pretty overwhelmed, I think, especially a couple weeks ago. They got they got very overwhelmed um, with, with needing personnel and supplies um, and things like that, and now with the cold and the blizzard, um, I think they're also still in that state of being... Um, very stretched thin. Well, uh, Juan, you, you've been out there a couple of times, right? Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how the the camp changed while you were there? You went there in mid-August, I think, and then later again in October? Yes, um, I went out there in August, the day that Ochechi Shakoan started. Um, I When they made the call out, uh, Dakota Access got the permission to start working on a August 10th, and the call-out from Standing Rock came out then, and I started searching for somebody to come with me to go. Um, And within a few days, I had somebody, and I grabbed my kids and got in the car, drove to Chicago, picked somebody up, and drove out there, and we got there the day that Ochechi Chacoan got set up. Mm. Um, And there was, at that day that I got there, um, we didn't have any formal medical station set up at all. and within a few hours of being there, we had four seizures and several diabetic emergencies. Oh. And so several um, EMTs, paramedics, and nurses, we got together and started talking. And um, then um, Guy Dolnife and his wife, Angie, um, set up a small first aid station. And I spent time there that week um, with whatever supplies we had. And people came to us. Um, and in camp at night when people would call for a medic, we'd all get out of our tents and go running and find what was going on. Um, so we were just kind of a little uh, small small group of, of medics um, running around camp with hardly any supplies, trying to do our best. Um, and so that week that I was there, um, when we got there, there was only a few hundred people. Seven TPs started the camp. Um, and when I left uh, that a week later, there was probably around 1,500 people in camp, um, but also still no formal medical setup. Mm. Um, so then when I went out there in October, we were there um, on Indigenous Peoples Day. We got there a couple days earlier, um, and I actually went with Terry. And things were very different, obviously. There was, um, at the time, I think around 4,000 people in camp, mm-hmm. and there was a formal medical station set up with... Um, just an amazing system going. I went and talked to uh, the nurses down there, and they got me right in, and I just spent my time um, helping out there. But they had supplies, they had beds, they had tents, they had um, a very wonderful setup going that I know has grown and gotten better and more efficient since then. Well, uh, what's the camp like? I mean, can you describe a little bit about what the conditions are like? Well, um, in August, it was very different. it was a small camp of almost entirely indigenous people. Um, and we were just kind of 
there wasn't a whole lot of, of organization yet. Mm-hmm. There was no uh, traditional defenders of the water school. There was no, like I said, no real medical setup. Um, things were just kind of morning meetings. We'd all go up and figure out what we were doing that day. Um, we would go up to the front lines at the pipeline gate up the road. And it was uh, when I got there, by that point, the police had already kind of backed off and there was no police presence. And we could all just go right up to the pipeline gates and we'd go up there and we'd sing and we'd pray. Um, and that was kind of the daily thing. Um, as it grew, same thing. More people would come in. More tents and teepees were set up. I, I think one of the days I watched five or six teepees go up within an hour. Um, it just grew very quickly. I mean, it was hot. And so uh, the need for water, um, which is the focus of this whole thing, nice. water is life. Um, but that was a big need at the time. So um, then in October when I went, um, camp had definitely changed significantly. It was colder. Um larger there were actual uh you know roads kind of pounded out by cars when i was there in august there was just prairie grass everywhere that was up up past your knees scraping your legs and all over the car and dust everywhere and stuff and then by the time i got there in october it was um you know nice dirt roads that had been driven down and there was no grass left and Mm -hmm. um just kind of a large sprawling camp but you know both times it's interesting um when you see large gatherings of people, usually there's a, a wake of debris left behind. But both times I've been out there, and I know still now it's the same way, um, you go out there, there's no litter. There's no um, debris. There's no mess. Um, everybody takes good care of that camp and cleans it and makes sure that there's not trash on the ground and not things being wasted. Um, so both times, even when there was... 4,000 people out there in October when I went. Um, Very clean, very well maintained, um, and just uh, very prayerful and um, spiritual environment. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like that's been a key takeaway for me is that, uh, you know, the camp and the Native peoples there um, are acting um, their even against what were clearly uh, very tense and aggressive police maneuvers and measures, acting um, with respect on their on their side anyway. Yes. There. Let me ask you a question. I'll ask all three of you this question, if you don't mind. Um, there, the issue with the police was was a difficult one, right? It's one of the things that that caught my attention, probably um, uh, most. Um, um, than more than than most of the issues here, simply because it was a, a quick way in which you discover that this was a state to state ability to maneuver police force um, via these particular FEMA uh, and environment. Emergency management systems, right? EMAC, I think, is one, and this is managed by NEMA. Uh, I love it when there's alphabet soup, right? You've got to think, what what do these things mean? National Emergency Management Association. That's an association in charge of this this thing, and the association is just a loose group of people who've paid to be a part of it, right? So there there are people governing this particular management process, um, moving and requesting police forces from state to state. Right. This has been the most horrifying part for me. So Indiana had, I think, eight or nine or maybe more police 
districts, uh, counties respond with forces. I don't know how many, I didn't get the exact numbers, but I think one of the largest contributors in terms of different counties, different police departments offering troops, and I, I say troops there, they're police officers, but they become troops, they're militarized. Uh, give me a sense of your your thinking on the police presence and how it kind of came from all over the place. I'll, I'll ask you, let me ask you first, uh, Kelly. Um, I think it's kind of uh, interesting when you think about the situation um, that one one subject is getting kind of um, brushed aside and swept under the rug by the mainstream media and by most of the country and most of the dialogue about this is the issue of sovereignty. Um, Standing Rock Sioux Tribe is a sovereign nation, just like the United States is a sovereign nation. And when you're having conflict or diplomatic relations or whatever with a sovereign nation, you don't send a ragtag band of police troops from all over the country. Mm. Uh, that's not a nation-to-nation right. relationship. That's not how you treat a sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting that they're like, oh, let's just send a bunch of police from all over the place, mm-hmm. um, when they're completely ignoring the fact that they're dealing with a sovereign nation. Yeah, ignoring the fact would be the clear the clear case here. This is Doug Storm uh, on Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Facing America at Standing Rock. I'm joined today by local activists and Native Americans, Davina Two Bears and Terry Miles in the studio, and Kelly, the Indiana representative for the American Indian Movement chapter of Indiana and Kentucky. She's calling from Indianapolis. So, uh, Terry, your, your thoughts on the police presence? Uh, well, it's a, uh, it's like a compact. So um, when there's a natural disaster in a state, then they call on the other states to come in and help. Right. That plan started in 1992, I think, with Hurricane Andrew. And it's only been used uh, two times now to deal with civil unrest. And this is one of them. Mm. Um, but it's funny, because I was sitting here laughing while you were talking about it, because uh, it was the fourth trip with Heather that we were heading back from uh, camp and um, got tired and... and Stopped at a gas station. I said, I got to sleep for a couple hours. Ended up sleeping till morning. So we get going again, and we're still in uh, North Dakota, and I run out of gas. I'm like, I got nothing left. I'm like, oh, I got to stop. So we pull into this uh, small little gas station nowhere, and uh, there, it's there's like six like police cars there, and I'm like, oh, no. You know, and I got this Dapple trailer, mm. no Dapple trailer that right. I pull in. It's got water protect protect waters on the back it's got it's it's just completely you know who i am you're exposed there yeah Yeah, very much so Mm -hmm. and but they pulled out when we pulled in i'm like Mm. yes cool Mm. well i go into the bathroom i come out and there's just police everywhere and so i i start you know talking to them and because i had written this thing about you know talking to the national guard letting them know who you are and make yourself human and uh somebody says oh yeah i'm from gary i'm like wait a minute what where you guys what all you guys are from Indiana? You're kidding me. So I go to, I'm going to each one of them, shaking their hand, telling them who I am, talking about my family and, and the service that uh, they gave to the country. My father and five of my uncles served in the Army. Uh, one in Korea got the Bronze Star, hmm. Vietnam, you know, all in between. And because uh, Native Americans served disproportionately in the military, we served the country. Um, and so I just did that, you know, like, you know, hey, you know, I know you guys are going up there. You don't know what's going on. Please just don't. Don't hurt anybody. And that's, it was weird. <laughs> that is strange. How did you feel about it, Davina? Um, uh, I, I, 
there's some <laughs> there's so much I want to say about it. I just think it's it's um it's not right. It's not right how they um I mean the people out there uh you know they 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 just have um I think um I think that their their motivation may be that they're they're also you know when they think of Native Americans they think of us as threatening um, that that's a stereotype and 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 it's it's still that way to this day but it's just unbelievable to me that there's police coming in you know protecting this oil company mm-hmm. and they're treating Native people horribly right. you know um, the Native people are out there praying. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them, but <coughs> why are you shooting at them? And, right. you know, just, I, I it, it's just, hor- it, I, it's just mind boggling to me. And it's like the 1960s all over again, like the 1960s never happened. I mean, it's still, it's still that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's crazy. And, um, you know, the, 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 the threat to, to, you know, f- freedom of speech um, freedom of religion, the threat to our civil rights. I mean, the Army Corps created a free speech zone. You know, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I just, it, it's beyond me why and how, you know, and, and they've been comparing this to what happened in Nevada, you know, with the, 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 the takeover of the, I think it was the Bureau of Land Management mm. by the Bundys. Oh, the Bundys, yeah. And they had weapons. Right. But they were treated not, Nearly, uh, you know, compared to people without weapons who are just praying and, you know, being protective of the water. Yeah, that brings up the environmental racism issue as well, right? Uh, These are clear distinctions, clearly how how certain people are treated and and others. Uh, I've got very little time left. Let me give you all the last word, 30, 40 seconds maybe, if you can. can. Uh, Kelly, uh, anything that you want the listeners to take away or to think about as we we go into the winter and probably have to gear up again for for more if we're going to keep the pipeline from happening? Um, yeah, I think it's important to keep the issues of sovereignty and treaty rights at the top of the national discourse when mm. people are talking about this. Um, ignoring the issue of sovereignty completely ignores what um, you know started all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the sovereignty and treaty rights need to be um, kind of at the at the forefront of this conversation. Um, but also just that um, the people there uh, are prayerful and peaceful. Um, it's a it's a wonderful place. It's a, a peaceful um, place full of unity, and um, you know, not the the media has tried to paint a picture of you know all these native activists out there as as being violent and um, you know squatters and all this stuff, and and that's that's not at all what it is. That's mm-hmm. not at all what it's. Um, it's a really beautiful place, uh, very beautiful people. And I think it's important for people that want to go out there and support um, that they go not only with a prayerful attitude, um, but also that they make sure to listen to the elders um, and the tribal leaders, um, because there's a lot of people going not listening to that instruction, a lot of non-Native people going not listening. Um, so it's very important to listen to the leaders, the elders, the tribal leaders, all right, thank um, you. And respect their wishes and respect what they say. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, Terry? Um, I guess I just would like to say that um, on all the, with the trips and stuff like that, we're only possible because of all the support uh, throughout 
Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa. You know, it was like a reverse pipeline. So it was, um, the, the first trip was um, um, Sylvia Brown and the Meskwaki Nation. You know, don't, I mean, they've been donating a lot throughout this. Um, Joseph, Joseph Tafalger, sorry, Joseph, or Joshua, sorry, White Pines Wilderness Academy uh, donated the big dapple, no dapple trailer. And you can see that on my Facebook all the time. And then Joseph Paldeski from the Trickster Art Gallery in their community, they donated an army tent with a winter liner and a mm. stove. You know, that's going to keep a lot of people warm and safe. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And Davina, last um, word. I guess Dave Archamble, the chairman, has asked for people to um, thank people and everyone. And I want to say thank you to everyone who has supported this this Standing Rock as well. Um, he's also encouraging people to go home to now. Go home, yeah. And But, um, you know, we, we as Native people are remaining vigilant. And he says if he needs to, he will call upon the water protectors again. Great. So, um Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Thank you. That's our show. Thanks to Kelly, who joined us from Indianapolis by phone. She's the American Indian Movement chapter uh, representative, uh, chapter of Indiana, Kentucky, and a Lipan Apache uh, activist. Uh, she's uh, joined us by phone from India again. Terry Miles and Davina, two bears in the studio with me tonight. Thank you all for joining me tonight. We're listening to Cortez the Killer, one more from Neil Young. Next time on Interchange, our father, Frankenstein. In 1818, Mary Shelley published an advice novel in the guise of a science fiction horror story. Each word reads like a warning to us, clearly unheeded. It's no original observation to remark on the hubris of the science-minded, who claim that the labors of men of genius, however erroneously directed, scarcely ever fail in ultimately turning to the solid advantage of mankind. But what is not often remarked on is that Shelley's novel is a treatise on being a parent, The microcosm of our social future in the world begins with the circumstances of childhood. Papa Victor is a very bad dad. Monique Morgan joins us to discuss the birth, life, and legacy of Mary Shelley's novel of the modern Prometheus, Our Father Frankenstein, next time on Interchange, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on WFHB. Thanks for listening. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer. Jennifer Brooks is board engineer. And our executive producer is Joe Crawford. Stay tuned for the Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.